1: Hi there, welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom.
2: Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you?
1: I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin (laughs) another grand experiment?
2: I am. I'm very ready. Let's go! All
1: right, let's give it a whirl.
2: Okay, so... Uh, I just want to take a minute and say how excited I am to have so many listeners and just thank each and every one of you for listening every week. And I know that there are those of you who are actually listening every week, and that's very exciting. Don't you think, Chandler?
1: Yes, uh, thank you so much to everyone who's been listening, and uh, if this is uh, your first episode of History in Retrograde, we will uh, walk you through how we do things here. Uh, In a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, Now, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, but Mom has no idea who this person could be. Uh, So I will give her the data necessary to create a natal chart, uh, that is the uh, birth date, time, and location of this uh, mystery history guest. She will then input that data into the back computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment this person was born. She will then uh, get, do her best to uh, give us an initial reading of the chart, uh, telling us uh, all that she can about the different personality traits, characteristics, uh, fortunes of this uh, historical figure. I will then ask a few discussion questions and then reveal to her uh, who our mystery history guest is. Uh, she, uh, I will then give a, a bit of a summary about what that person did, and then we will come together at the end and discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so without further ado, let's begin.
2: All right, let's go. Uh,
1: this is a male. All right. Born on the 5th of December. Okay.
2: 1839. All right.
1: And I was able to find a birth time for this. I'm not exactly sure how accurate it is, but uh, we'll go along with it. Uh, okay. 1.30 a.m.
2: Excellent. I like it when we have a birth time. <laughs> okay. And Where?
1: So, the United States.
2: Okay. And what town?
1: Uh, New Rumley, Ohio.
2: Okay. Okay. So, we will start with the chart. Take a look here and see what we have. Okay. So, on this chart... I think I will go ahead and start with the north node, which this person's north node is in Pisces in the sixth house. So knowing that the sixth house is ruled by Virgo and that it's about work and health and organization and work ethic and all of these kinds of things, I would say that this person was very prone to work uh they sh- their north node is in the sixth house in uh pisces so um it's a very creative way of going about their work in their um uh, uh chosen well i mean sixth house is the actual work and then tenth house is the career so this is how a person approaches their work right And then this person also has uh, Uranus also in Pisces conjunct. Do you see how the north node is at 11 and then the uh, Uranus is at 12 Pisces? Yes. Both in the sixth house. So this person has a very unique way of doing their work, possibly even futuristic way artistic way of doing their work uh very um i mean the 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 positive side of this um pisces is you know because it's ruled by neptune is creativity and talent and you know like the bard or the um minstrel or someone who is a musician or a writer or uh, something very creative with their work. I'm not sure, you know, how, how that plays out, but something in very interesting with their work and their life direction. You know what I mean? And then uh, they have Libra as their rising sign. And, you know, having Libra as a rising sign, I normally like to say they're very, you know, they're a very attractive person. They're, I don't know how they're pretty. You know, Libra always makes me think pretty. It's it's very nice. Like um uh they don't have to try really hard to be likable and 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 handsome. You know, they they just naturally are kind of likable normally. Mm. Um a Libra rising person and then this person has Venus at 26 degrees Libra and it's in the first house so that gives them another edge to that attractiveness or um you know because Venus rules Libra and now you have Venus in Libra in the first house right and so um it gives them an extra dose of it should like ability. You know, and, and, uh, uh, mm, I mean, it could be handsome, you know, attractive. Um, okay, so th- that's, let me, let me kind of go through and look at everything. We have Jupiter in Scorpio in the second house. All right. So having Scorpio on your second house is going to make you want, um, very, uh, I want to say mm, ornamental things, you know, extra, uh, uh, not just um, antiques, but like gilded antiques. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that extra step for Scorpio because they like it a little bit more. You know what I mean? And then having Jupiter and Scorpio uh, in the second house gives them the benevolent ability to have valuable things it should that's how that usually works Um, third house we have moon in sag sun in sag saturn in sag and mercury in capricorn in the third house which is communications third house is ruled by gemini so this person has a moon conjunct sun conjunct Saturn in the third house of communications um, in Sag. Did I say Saturn? No. Okay, Saturn in Sag. So w- this puts all of the aspects of Sagittarius, right, into their lessons, and their lessons have to do with communication. And mother and father, um, I mean, Saturn is directly conjunct the sun. I mean, exactly at 12 degrees in the third house. So there's something there about the father, lessons from the father. Um, they're not, it's not conjunct the moon, but still interesting mother-father situation there. And then having that fall into the third house. And then having Mercury in Capricorn. Mercury in Capricorn is a very difficult placement for Mercury. Because Capricorn is control. It's ruled by Saturn. So people who have Mercury in Capricorn can tend to be very short. They don't give long elaborate explanations for why they just said what they did. They just say it. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if that fits in with this person or not, but, um, their community and then Mercury in Capricorn in the third house, which is ruled by Sag, whoa, that's a lot, you know, especially with that Saturn there. Um, and, uh, Mercury is at two degrees Capricorn. So it's still, it's still in the orb of Sagittarius. So there could be some, lightness in this particular mercury and capricorn right it's not like 15 degrees mercury and capricorn It's so it's still a little bit on the on the sagittarian side it had it could have some you know uh gray area uh colored by sagittarius so there that's um a little bit lighter but this person could be known as a person who really um didn't mince words you know what i mean uh could be and then fourth house mars in the fourth house in capricorn mars in the fourth house in capricorn at 17 degrees so mars in capricorn again capricorn is ruled by saturn which is control so when you have someone who has mars in capricorn they can be very business like or very controlling in the things that they are motivated to do they have to be in control of uh their direction i mean normally we're in control of our direction but for someone with mars and capricorn and mercury in capricorn they're going to need to know that they are in control or that they have chosen to negotiate does that make any sense yeah OK, now in the fifth house, and of course, we know fourth house is home and community and country. And even like when we did Fosse, uh, home was the house, right? The theater house. So um, whatever aspect of c- your home, what you feel is home, you know.
1: And, and, and Mars is there.
2: Yes. Yeah, so very in control. And there is a direction, you know, to for control. And, and mars
1: is is the god of war mm-hmm. and yep. in that commune the, the the house of
2: community home and community yes so this person could be uh involved in the military um something re- in 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 that vein but normally with mars and capricorn this person would be more of a planner you know like a like a, a strategist. Hmm. rather than a person who would, you know, just run out screaming with swords and guns. Oh, you know what that's I mean? very interesting. <laughs> this person would be much more of a strategist, I mm. would think. Okay. And then, but I mean, this person does have a lot of Sagittarius. So that it's sort of a fight within themselves. If they do want to run out and guns ablaze and that Mars and, Capricorn is still not going to let them just do it without a plan. You know. Um so I don't know. Okay, so then we have Neptune at 10 degrees Aquarius, right? In the 5th house. Neptune in the 5th fifth, fifth house also would make this person very creative. And creative in um things that have to do with the 5th house, which are, you know, leadership, um, all the Leo things, leadership, um, entertainment, children, um, uh, well, it's also romance, you know? So Neptune can, can draw a veil down, right? In, in a difficult situation, Neptune can make you be, uh, unaware of things or, or, uh, you could be Neptune wherever it is can make you crazy, you know? It just depends on how far it goes, you know, and how you deal with it. In this situation, I would say Neptune in Aquarius is um, a creative way of dealing with humanity uh, through uh, leadership, maybe. Um, Now, as we come around, we've already looked at the sixth house, right, with the Pisces, which is also creative work. Creative creativity in your work, and you see how this person has so almost all of their planets in the bottom half of their chart. Yeah, that is a very earthbound person. You know what I mean. This is not a very ethereal person. Right. This person is not a dreamer. This person is very grounded to earth. You know, when you have people with a bunch of planets up here, they can be more you know lackadaisical or they can be more um, dreamy or or you know creative. But this person is very into money and earthy things. Now, here we have Pluto in Aries in the seventh house. Now, when you add this Pluto in Aries to all of this Sagittarius, okay, and uh, then you have a a situation. (laughs) Because, um, you know, Pluto is very powerful and in Aries is going to be you know like a general because mars rules aries and here this person has the very powerful planet of pluto there and in the seventh house which could mean powerful partnerships it could mean death of partners it could mean um uh, power struggles it could mean you have a powerful partner so somehow power is involved with this person in their partnerships, their business partnerships, one-on-one partnerships. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how that works out. But then we don't have anything in the eighth or the ninth. But we do have Chiron in the 10th in Cancer. Chiron and Cancer in the 10th. See this this 10th house in Cancer kind of goes against all this other stuff because cancer is normally very nurturing and um, you know, they want to feed you. They are very good. I mean, they can get, they can have a really bad temper, but um, usually they are uh, very nurturing people and loving people. But this person has Chiron here and Chiron is the wounded healer. So we have a situation with the career that has some aspect of healing and then healing healing the original wound whichever however that wound came into play there's something about the career and nurturing in the career um cancer is also ruled by the moon which could have something to do with the mother this um uh and then and then switching over if, if you, if you do it properly, then you switch over and you become the healer, right? So you get healed from whatever you had to deal with and then you become the healer. So, uh, interesting how this person has all this fire and water. Uh, so, cause he's got, you know, Jupiter and Scorpio. He's got this inside. I mean, in, uh, um, pisces he's got this in cancer you know and then he's got all this fire all this fire you know and it's a very interesting chart um i would think that in some ways this person might be conflicted with how they go about things like on one hand they could blaze out and then on the other hand they could be reserved like oh i can't i shouldn't do that um but maybe you know and then and then change it back to well then i'll do it this way or i'll do it that way and continue to do like a creative way to manifest whatever it is they're working on does any of this make sense
1: yeah uh, i think that there are several things that make sense i think that there are some other things that um uh, clearly, he must have been conflicted about because the the and and the other side won because uh, th- this is probably not a man known for uh, a great deal of uh, preparedness and strategy. Um, but occasionally, you know, maybe we're just getting the highlights of the career when the other side of him won out.
2: Ah. <laughs> Well, I mean, dark side of Capricorn is like alcoholism and addiction. Dark side of Pisces can also be addiction. So I don't Mm. know if this person had any addictions, but they definitely had a lot of fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, could possibly have been working with that. But again, if we don't know for sure that this is the real birth time, then this stuff could be falling in. In houses that we're not aware of. I mean, this That's person true. was born in 1839, so we could find, we could be finding these things in all the wrong houses. Yep. Yep. So that is possible. If it doesn't sound right, then it's highly likely that we don't have the right birth time.
1: Hmm. Um, what kind of dresser would this person be?
2: A dresser? How would yeah. he dress? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he does have Libra rising, I would assume that he, and with Venus in the first house, I would assume a very nice dresser. So if this is his real birth time, he should be a very nice dresser, very dapper. Uh,
1: Would the Sagittarius have anything to do with uh, how he would present himself?
2: Well, again... If we have the wrong houses, then, you know, it's possible. But, I mean, people who have Libra rising with Venus in Libra in the first house should be pretty nice dressers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're You know, having Sun conjunct Moon and Saturn in Sagittarius, if that was all in the first house, then you would be dealing with a more, you know... If we had Sagittarius on the first house, then we would be dealing with a more super cool person, you know, mm. like uh, too cool for school. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know who 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 we're dealing with right now. So, you know, maybe if I fig you know, when you when we figure out who they are, then um, I might be able to adjust this and say, oh, well, it might be that they had this rising, mm-hmm. you know. And and that uh, these were in these other houses and that's how, you know, it worked out. I think for the moment we should just say, okay, let's not talk about the houses right now, because since we don't know for sure what the first house is as an absolute and what I'm saying to you seems off, then we can just focus on, you know, the planets and how the planets work together but i mean all the planets are still going to be the same they're still going to have pluto and aries they're still going to have all these planets in sag uh they're still going to have jupiter and scorpio jupiter and scorpio is going to give them an edge on uh you know the whole everything that scorpio represents just making it bigger you know sex and and and, and um uh you know, um l- loyalty actually. Scorpios are very loyal, uh, when they wanna be. <laughs> but if somebody does them wrong, oh that's a bad idea. Um so um, I don't I don't know how you want to approach it, however you want to approach it.
1: <laughs> I think we just uh, keep reading the chart. Okay. Um uh how is this person's self-esteem
2: i would not think that this person had a bad self-esteem i would think that this person honestly i i would feel like this person didn't even consider self-esteem as a thing like as an option like i would think that this person was just like i am me and here we go you know
1: okay um This question might be uh, a little complicated, but I'll try and uh, uh, see if it yields uh, anything here. Okay. uh, Would this person um, be okay with losing uh, if it meant that he had done the right thing?
2: Um... That is hard to say because this person has Pluto in Aries, and uh, Mars in Capricorn. But I don't know because see, when you have this Sag, sage on the good side is going to be the good guy. They're going to be they're going to wear the white hat no matter what. So it's possible that this person would be okay with losing if they knew they had done the right thing.
1: But the flip side, would they be okay with doing the wrong thing? In order to win.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they would.
1: <laughs> and and you would think more the
2: latter. Uh it, it's 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 six of one half a dozen of the other, because this person has Mars and Capricorn, which can be very manipulative, and, and, and that's what makes Capricorn Capricorn people so good at business, you know, because they can they work within the lines, but they're still playing the game you know not playing the game as much as a scorpio does a scorpio plays the game to win to play the game you know what i mean mm-hmm. but a capricorn will play the game more like um uh you, they're there to win but uh they they like to play the game you know what
1: is his attitude towards authority
2: i think this person is the authority I, I think that this person, uh, isn't, is in charge. I, I, if someone were to try to force this person to do something, I don't think you could force this person to do something they didn't want to do. I don't think that's a possibility.
1: Um, what role would romance play in their life?
2: well um they have pluto in the seventh house and pluto is very burn it down build it up again so i don't know if they might have had a lot of relationships or a very powerful relationship but when you have pluto on the seventh house in aries and then you have neptune in aquarius in the fifth house having that neptune in aquarius in the fifth house could make relationships um like it could make them super romantic having neptune maybe in anything else except aquarius because aquarians are very technical and uh I don't know, I I would say that this person could have great fiery romances or romances could um, confuse them (laughs) or they don't have time for it. My choice would be that uh, this person probably had a number of romances. I don't know how. And each one could have been really serious to him.
1: Okay. Um, is there uh, anything else that you uh, can get from the chart that uh, you haven't talked about already?
2: Well, it's interesting because I get the feeling that we might not have the right birth time because of the reaction that I'm getting from you. But sometimes if I go off in this direction and I'm... Pulling certain aspects of the signs. And then after you tell me who it is. Then I'm like oh okay. Well that makes sense. Because ABCD you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think in this situation. I, I don't think there's anything more. I can tell you about this chart. Uh, until I have more information. Um, okay. Because of your reaction. I'm feeling like we don't have the right birth time.
1: Okay. Uh, well this time. Uh, I think I'd like to do something a little special, uh, do a little experiment uh, inside of our grand experiment. Okay. Uh, and I would like to uh, see uh, what uh, our our history, mystery history guest chart looks like uh, uh, inside uh, of a specific day.
2: Okay. All right. So let me go to pull up the uh, area where I can do transits. Okay, and what date are we looking at? June 25th Okay 1876 Okay, well Um This person has Uh Jupiter still in Scorpio Or Jupiter Jupiter back in Scorpio Um Let's see, Saturn is right on the cusp between the fifth and the sixth house. So interesting, all right? And Saturn is now in Pisces there. So transiting Saturn would be uh, conjuncting, not by degree, but close enough, their north node and their Uranus. And the north node is progressed and they're having the north node is also uh, i would say there was some kind of lessons at this time uh with work uh because saturn is gonna activate uranus and north node which are both in the sixth house so i would say that there's some sort of activation with uh the with the work aspect of this person their direction their life direction and uh unexpected things happening because of the lessons that saturn is projecting onto that then uh neptune is in the eighth house and so is pluto i would also say that somehow there was either a death or a legacy that came through uh this um un unknown source, unknown because it's Neptune, right? So you don't know everything. Uh an une- unexpected re- revelation. Um with a great change. Because it's Pluto transiting the eighth house and Pluto rules the eighth house. And Taurus um, could be with some sort of uh, control. Or, I mean, it could be they, you know, won a lottery or whatever. It's something big, it's big that has to do with. Uh, change and legacy and death and rebirth and just really like the burning down of the phoenix and then coming back and so
1: it, it is clear that something big, big happened really to this big. person on this yes. day
2: yes and i would say that it isn't well it's not necessarily this particular day but it is as long as Pluto was transiting this person's eighth house, wherever Pluto is, there's a burn down, and then you have to come back you know what
1: so I mean? it's huge. It's big, to give huge us idea. an
2: idea it changes your entire life
1: uh uh Pluto could have been transiting the eighth house for a matter of weeks before this
2: uh Pluto actually takes years, okay. But it it all depends on because Pluto doesn't work like Uranus does, right? Uranus is like a car accident or a a fire or a lightning strike or something like that. You know what I mean? Pluto is going to dig out whatever it is and change it, okay? Mm-hmm. And and you but what I would say is that this Saturn North Node situation here having to do with work or the yeah. way they work or their work ethic or whatever it is about work, that hitting Uranus could definitely, you know, this is coming into a situation that's going to also change things, you know, because mm-hmm. they have this transiting uh Saturn. At eight degrees, which is eight, nine, ten, eleven, that's three degrees away from their north node and four degrees. So it's within the orb, you know, of five degrees hitting both of these things with Uranus being unexpected, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, We also have the sun. Well, the sun is going to change, you know, every every month. But Mercury is transiting. Uh, Their ninth house in Gemini, which is their philosophies and their um, uh, communication through, you know, and also travel communication, communication across a distance, maybe. And then uh, Mars is transiting their 10th house. Mars and Venus transiting their 10th house. Which would have something to do with career. Um, Mars and Venus. Venus is is at zero degrees. Leo. So see how this changes right here to Leo? Yeah. And that's also... Mars is warlike things in the career. And Mars was transiting the 10th house. And um, it just went over this Chiron, which
1: is lessons.
2: uh, Yeah, Chiron is the wounded healer. It's learning the lessons and then learning to heal from those heal others from those lessons. And then Uranus is in Leo, right? Transiting Uranus is at 17 degrees Leo, in their 11th house. So something regarding groups of people having to deal with groups of people unexpectedly having to deal with groups of people is going on here and then um i don't for for transits like this i mean the moon is in is also in leo at that time the moon and the sun move so fast you know they're not as they're not as uprooting and 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 devastating as like pluto you know and uranus wherever those are you know uh is any of this making sense yeah
1: uh, so the the uh the mars uh in the 10th house mm-hmm. uh that could you warlike things
2: possible? well mars is ruled by aries right uh-huh. aries aries is ruled by mars okay so wherever your Mars is, is where you're going to be having, you could be having fights. You could be having, um, you know, like if you have a Mars transit in your own chart, then it's going to activate um, wherever it is, you know? Right. In right. this situation, Mars is activating the 10th house, but this person has, has um, can as far as we know, this person has cancer on the 10th house. Um, so if if we do have the birth time, right then um i mean mars in cancer is not what i would consider extremely dangerous like or 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 you know like mars in aries or mars in leo or mars in sagittarius you know or even mars in scorpio mars in taurus they're all different aspects of a very could be scary mars you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But having Mars activate your tenth house, whether it's in Cancer or not, if your career has to do with the military or some aspect of war, then this would definitely activate that. You mm-hmm. know, whether you're doing something in this situation to try to um, nurture this situation out of existence, or whatever you're trying to do um it's activated mm-hmm. and then uh venus in leo at zero degrees uh coming around through through the 10th house is you know backing up that mars because it's venus and leo which is leadership and um well it's a different kind of control it's uh like to be the leader You know, Mm -hmm. I would consider Aries more of the general. But see, this Venus is trining the Pluto in Aries and it's trining all of this Sagittarius, right? All this Leo and Sag and Aries is activated depending on what their career is. And it continued to move and continued to trine all the way through the 11th house, you know as these transits continued on and um i would definitely say something very significant happened with their work meaning i don't know what their work is and legacy and, and definitely legacy something yeah. intense happened with that legacy that was the most intense thing because wherever pluto is is what's it's under right you're you're not really seeing it like you don't see it like You see devastation, but if you know someone and you know they're going through a particular Pluto transit, you're going to see the change in that area. Then this area, there's a serious legacy because it's 8th house and Pluto transiting the 8th house. Is any of this making sense? Yes. Yes. Oh, good.
1: Uh, is there uh, anything else about uh, the transit of this day that you can uh, give us?
2: Well, if we're going to look at this specific day, okay, then the moon is at 17 degrees Leo in the 11th house. The moon is trining. There's almost massage. The moon is trining the sun in the second house. Uh, it's trining by sign, the moon, I I mean, natal moon, you know, um, and it's trining natal Saturn because we have Saturn and, and sun conjunct in Sagittarius. So this moon and Uranus in Leo is activating the sun and Saturn in the third house which is communications. And this is going through the 11th house, which is groups. So somehow this person had to communicate with groups of people on this day, you mm. know, and it was a big deal because it's Uranus, you know, mm-hmm. they might've had to communicate with them about some kind of emergency. Um, and then you have got that all trining this Pluto in Aries, this natal Pluto in Aries, see, because it's 17 degrees. These are twelve degrees, right, and we've got Uranus at seventeen and the moon at seventeen leo
1: conjunct
2: uh-huh. right yeah, um so there's a lot happening on this day, yeah, and then um, the moon, I mean the sun is at three degrees cancer um but in the ninth house. But conjunct the Midhaven, again, this has something to do with career and work and communications with a lot of people, urgent uh, communications. I would think, I mean, because it's charming, this Pluto and Aries, um, I don't know, battle? I don't know.
1: Uh, well, uh, do you think we're ready for our summary of our findings?
2: I think I'm ready for the summary, because I honestly have no idea where we are, and I feel like I'm just walking around in the dark.
1: <laughs> okay, so. Uh, this person is prone to work. Uh, creative about working. Unique way of doing work. Very attractive. Pretty. Uh, an extra dose of attractiveness. Handsome. Wants opulent things. There are lessons with communication. Uh, He's not an elaborative speaker. He could be short uh, to the point with communications. Was not a person to mince words. Needs to be in control. He could be in the military. Uh, He should have been a, a, a strategist. Uh, Creative dealings uh, with humanity uh, through leadership. Uh, Not ethereal, not cerebral, a very grounded person. Could be a powerful general. Uh, Death and power with partnerships. Uh, Could have a temper. Lessons with healing, nurturing involved in the career. Very conflicted. Uh, Could blaze out in a blaze of glory, uh, but struggles with his more uh, strategic and planning side. Uh, Could be a nice dresser, very dapper. Didn't consider there to even be a problem with self-esteem. They are uh, comparable... uh, Let me see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doing the wrong thing. Oh, they are comfortable. They are comfortable doing the wrong thing to win. Uh, This person is the authority. Uh, You cannot force them to do anything. Uh, Could uh, have a great fiery romance, uh, but could also be confused with uh, romantic situations. Uh, Could have a number of romances. We then looked at the transit of uh, the specific date of June 25th, 1876. There are lessons with work and life direction, unexpected things, death and legacy from unexpected revelation, great change, uh, unexpected dealing with groups of people, needed to communicate with groups of people during an urgent event. Is there anything that I left out?
2: No, I just wanted to add that with all of this Sagittarius uh, in the third house, um, this person, because a Sagittarius can uh, be very loud. And (laughs) they can be um, uh, very fiery in a different way than an Aries or a Leo. Because the Sagittarius is the one that will jump and run in front of you you know what i mean so having that be the moon conjunct saturn conjunct sun in the third house they could appear to be uh at times out of control because Mm -hmm. of all of that Sagittarius but even with that i would still say that this person, even though they could appear to be out of control in their communications, they did have logic behind whatever it was they were doing. They just they just weren't extremely in control of how they were expressing that. I don't know if that mm. works or not. Okay, okay. Uh,
1: are you ready to know whose chart you've been looking at?
2: Yes, I hope I know who it is.
1: Uh, this is the astrological birth chart of George Armstrong Custer.
2: Oh, no!
1: And the date that we looked at is the Battle of the Little Bighorn.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Also known as Custer's Last Stand.
2: Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, this does actually make sense that this is Custer. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because he was pretty. Yes. <laughs> he was very pretty. Mm-hmm. And he he, he du I mean it, it so maybe this is the right birth time. But yeah. um wow, okay. Interesting. Well, I have to say that in this situation with the eighth house, this was coming. This was coming a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, this had been coming a long time. I, I honestly, you, I will know more after you've done all of the um, history of Custer. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, because, I mean, I know what it is. I know what he looked like, you know, but I don't know a great deal of information about Custer. You're the historian. So I think you should take it away with the history and then I can come back in after I know a little bit more about it.
1: Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, George Armstrong Custer uh, was the uh, first child uh, born to Emmanuel and Marie Custer. Uh, he was born uh, December 5th, 1839, in Ohio. Uh, his uh, father was a blacksmith uh, and a farmer. Uh, Custer... Uh, saw the way that uh, his father lived his life, uh, saw uh, the means that they had as a family, dreamed of something bigger for his life, and saw the army uh, as his way to uh, move upwards uh, in society. Uh, So uh, he uh, attended West Point. Uh, He was uh, supposed to be in the graduating class of 1862 uh he uh up to the point of 1862 he was uh one of the worst students to ever graduate uh west point uh he uh, accumulated over 700 demerits
2: oh no
1: uh <laughs> He was always playing practical jokes. Uh, he was never... Uh, one of his uh, fellow cadets said that Custer was either going to be at the head or the foot of the class, and the head had already been taken, so he <laughs> was going to the foot. Uh, he was constantly on the edge of being uh, uh, expelled from West Point, and then when those crisis moments hit, he would hit the books, he would study, and he would get out. Um <laughs> There was uh, a preacher uh, who said that uh, Custer uh, was uh, always the instigator of devilish plots, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, behind his uh, seemingly acceptance of authority, he uh, was always uh, boiling with disruptive ideas. <laughs> uh because of the uh onslaught of the civil war in 1861 uh, his class graduated early in the summer of 1861 uh Custer graduated number 34 out of 34
2: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs>
1: Uh so uh with the uh beginnings of the civil war uh the Union army needed uh officers and so uh instead of having a uh, medial uh job uh in the army he was promoted uh and he was a second lieutenant in the second cavalry Uh, He, uh, his Civil War record, uh, it is, he's one of the people who was there at one of the first battles and was there to the very end of the Civil War. Uh, Mm -hmm. He fought in First Manassas, the first engagement of the Civil War in Virginia uh continued uh, fighting throughout the war. He was known as a man of action. He was, mm-hmm. uh, while people like General McClellan and others would sit back and strategize and even act cowardly at times and not pursue the enemy, Custer was never going to be caught not pursuing the enemy. Mm-hmm. He would ride in, whether he had the materials, whether he had <laughs> the men, it did not matter. He would rush in to battle uh there's uh, one famous story during uh the uh, potomac um campaign potomac campaign uh mcclelland uh was uh debating whether or not they could cross this river at this point and uh he was heard muttering i wonder how deep the river is custer heard this jumped on his horse went into the middle of the river and said it's this high general <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> uh he was uh, again the consummate man of action involved in many cavalry charges. Uh he was uh one of the way, one of the reasons that the Union army um uh, uh was victorious at Gettysburg. Uh he fought from first Manassas and he was there at the surrender of General Lee at Appomattox Courthouse. Uh, General Philip Sheridan actually gave uh, the table that the surrender was signed on to Custer's wife, with a note saying that uh, Custer was uh, more responsible for this outcome than any one man in the Union Army. Wow. Uh, During all this time, uh, Custer had uh, risen through the ranks. Uh, He was made a major general in the uh, Union Army uh and uh it was only once he had reached this rank of general that uh the young woman that he had been courting uh her her uh father uh, had agreed uh for uh, Libby to marry Custer because Custer had come from such a um uh un uh, a wealthy background, his father being a uh, blacksmith, uh, the uh, future father in law did not see much uh, in this young man, but once he had proved himself on the battlefield and made himself a, a general, uh, then. Uh, Custer married uh, Libby and they were together uh, for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Libby was known as uh, the confidant, the person that he would talk to on engagements and battle. Even during the worst of the Civil War, uh, as soon as they were married, uh, Custer took Libby with him to the front lines uh, so that he could consult with her on all of the matters of war.
2: Mm, That makes sense.
1: Uh, And then uh, the uh, Grand Army of the Republic uh, was uh, pared down quite a bit, did not need all the hundreds of thousands of soldiers that they had before, uh, needed a smaller fighting force, and with that, um, Custer was given a demotion. Uh, He was no longer a major general, uh, he was uh, demoted down to a lieutenant colonel. Uh, He was uh, made a lieutenant colonel with the newly formed 7th Cavalry Unit, uh, which was uh, created to fight uh, in all of the um, Indian campaigns uh, on the high plains of uh, uh, North America. Now that uh, the Civil War was over, uh, the uh, business of uh, making sure that the West would be cleared for American expansion uh, now was the ultimate purpose of the army. Uh, uh during one of these campaigns uh Custer uh was sent out to find and engage the different uh, bands of Cheyenne and Lakota um and heard that his wife uh was had, had gone to another military fort to be closer to him, and so he went uh, miles off track, uh, marching his army uh, uh, the, to the point of exhaustion, in fact, leaving some of the army behind, which they were actually uh, killed by Native Americans in order to try and rush to get to that fort uh, so that he could spend one day with his wife. Mm uh because of this complete negligence of leadership on his fault uh he uh, was sent away from the front and uh, was denied pay for a whole year uh oh, wow. and uh, was almost completely uh, uh expelled from the army uh because of his actions uh in pursuit of of his love hmm. uh one of his uh most famous engagements in the indian campaign happened uh at the Washita river in november of 1868 uh he engaged uh in battle in a, he found a small village uh, of cheyenne uh who were under chief black kettle and uh Custer uh, engaged the enemy, went into the village, and uh, shot indiscriminately. It did not matter if it was an elderly man, if it was women, if it was children. Uh, completely, many people would say, massacred this small village of Cheyenne. Uh, he claimed that he took over 50 captives. Um and killed over a hundred warriors. That is not, we're not exactly sure how many uh, were taken and how many were killed, um, but complete, uh, uh, uh indiscriminate warfare amongst civilians uh, on this band of Cheyenne. And because of this great victory, uh, it was one of the reasons why this band of the Cheyenne were forced uh, to go onto the reservation, could no Mm. longer uh, live their life out uh, as free Indians. Mm. And uh, because of this major victory, Custer became a, a media personality. Uh, He had already begun to grow his hair long, um, but he uh, would start uh, uh, scenting it with cinnamon oil. Oh, no. And uh, have uh, long golden ringlets. Uh, he uh, there are more pictures of Custer than nearly any personality of this time. He uh, would, could never be seen without his bright red uh, handkerchief around his neck. Uh, he uh, uh, in the Civil War would fight in a black velvet coat. Oh my! Um, he uh, on his Indian campaigns had every color of buckskin. A uh, uh, sort of uh, a uniform he was famous for wearing a white buckskin uh, mm-hmm. uniform and all of the Native Americans uh, knew him he was golden hair he was yes. the warrior who went into villages and uh, killed indiscriminately mm-hmm. uh, but he was also he would take photographers and reporters with him on campaigns so that they mm-hmm. could write about his exploits mm-hmm. there are pictures of him always with a, uh, a a large buffalo or a bear that he had just killed uh, yes. he was projecting this image to the people on the East Coast that he is uh, uh, the ultimate Indian fighter. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, throughout the late 1860s and going into the 1870s, Custer was amassing this reputation uh, and uh, this was all happening while the United States was in uh, negotiations with the Lakota and the Arapahoes and the Cheyennes uh, re- regarding the Black Hills. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Black Hills of present day South Dakota, that was one of the most sacred sites for not just um, the Lakota, but many bands uh, of Native Americans. Uh, uh, traced their lineage to the Black Hills. This was the Mm -hmm. most sacred spot to their spiritual uh, culture. Mm -hmm. And it just happened that there was gold in the Black Hills. Uh, So the United States wanted very much to have that gold. But under the Fort Laramie uh, Treaty, that area was protected. It was sacred. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that did not stop the... Miners from the United States from going against that treaty. And so what would the army do? Was the army going to fight off the miners or was it going to fight off the Native Americans? Mm. Uh, the, uh, at one point, uh, President Grant tried to purchase uh, the Black Hills uh, for around uh, three million dollars. The, to the Lakota, that that didn't make any sense. How that, That's like trying to buy Bethlehem or something. Mm-hmm. You cannot uh, understand how sacred that is. But the next year, uh, one of their medicine men, Sitting Bull, actually gave them a price. They said uh, 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 $30 billion. <laughs> Which, if you look at how much money was actually made from the gold, it would be over $70 billion. Mm. Uh, So it actually would have been a deal, but mm-hmm. that was completely uh, not going to be what the the united states government was going to do yeah. uh, so uh under uh, major general uh, philip sheridan uh who was in command of all of the uh western theater uh the, he got together with president grant to say that all free indians had to be on a reservation by january 30th 1876 if you were not in a reservation by that time you would be considered a hostile Mm -hmm. Now, this was meant to set up the Indians because it was the middle of winter when they said this. So there was no way that they were going to leave their villages to go to the reservation in the middle of winter. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all of the Indians who were then found outside of the reservations were treated as hostels. Mm -hmm. Once this word came down, Sitting Bull uh, had already... Start to have dreams of a major conflict coming, mm-hmm. and that they would win this conflict. Mm-hmm. And so the word started to get out among uh, many of the Cheyennes and the Arapahos, um, and the Lakota to come to Sitting Bull and to form a village.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they started pouring in; hundreds of people started pouring into the village every day and uh, as the, they were a nomadic tribe following the buffalo the village would move but uh it just the, the 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 village just kept growing and growing as people kept coming in and coming in mm-hmm. uh the 7th Cavalry was aware that this village might start to form, that there was going to be a major conflict that needed to happen. Uh, so, under uh, General Terry, uh, they started to try and find the village coming in from the east and from the west and from the south uh, around the area of the Little Bighorn River. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 first people to actually find the village was uh Major Reno with the 7th cavalry um he had gone against orders to try and scout and find where the village was he found uh while he was camped that um some lakota warriors started to attack his camp and they attacked all day long which was not oh, wow. how they would Usually Native Americans, especially the Lakota on the plains, plains, they would come in, they would attack, they might come back a second time, but then they would run away. Mm -hmm. Um, But they kept coming... Uh, assault after assault and later on figured out that it was because they were so close to where the village was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is why they needed, they they felt that necessary to attack all day long. Uh, He then got together with Terry and Custer and said that, I think the village might be in this area. And Custer wanted to know why he hadn't gone all the way through and attacked the village. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had already uh, gone against orders Reno had by even going that far to scout the village Mm -hmm. so on uh, a June fifteenth, uh, Majorino uh, had that was when that encounter had happened. By June twenty second, they had gotten together and devised their plan. That Custer was going to lead. He was going to find the village, and he was not supposed to engage the enemy. He was supposed to wait for reinforcements. Mm-hmm. Now Terry sent Custer out, knowing that if Custer had found the village, he was going to attack the village. Mm-hmm. So knowing Custer's personality, he thought, well, I'm going to put myself in the best case possible. If Custer finds the village then, and attacks it and wins, well, Terry was the one who sent him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If Custer finds the village, attacks and loses, then Terry told him to find the village and not to attack. Right. So either way, he was going to be in the best possible situation. Mm -hmm. While all this is happening in the Indian village, Sitting Bull... He has uh, the the they're coming to him. The the scouts are seeing where the army is and uh, saying that there's an army to the south and an army to the west. They had not found an army to the east, but Sitting Bull says the army is going to come from the east and they are going to lose. Wow. Uh, he has uh, this uh, medicine ritual where uh, he pricks himself over fifty times in his yeah. arms to where his arms are bleeding just red with his own blood, and he dances for over twenty hours. Oh, and uh, at the end, he has uh, this vision saying that it is happening and we are going to win, but we must not take anything from the army. We must leave everything on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, June 22nd, the, uh, the 7th Cavalry gets their orders. Uh, as Custer is leaving the fort, uh, uh, Terry says, you know, don't be greedy. Make sure you leave some of them for us. And uh, Custer says, no, I don't think I will. And uh, that, that those were the last words that Terry ever heard Custer speak.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, on the morning of June 25th, the Army, uh, the 7th Cavalry, was getting closer to this uh, grand village. Uh, they had crow scouts. Uh, the crow uh, were an uh, Indian tribe, uh, fiercely enemies with the um Arapaho and the Lakota. So they were helping the U.S. Army. The crow spotted the village and saw that it was one of the largest villages uh, uh, ever accumulated, that this village just to compare it to the United States, was larger than the city of San Antonio at that time. Wow. It was larger than most cities, most villages that any of the soldiers had ever seen in the Western world. It was over 5,000, uh, hundreds of teepees, hundreds of horses, and the crow saw the village, and then they looked behind them and could see the huge fires of the U.S. Army. So the if they could see the U.S. Army's Uh, uh, fires then the village could see the u.s army's fires the element of surprise had completely gone away right so the crow told this to custer and said we should wait for reinforcements they already know we're here custer Mm -hmm. said no the element of surprise has already been taken away from us we must attack now so custer splits his uh Uh, force up into three different groups. He sends uh, uh, Major Reno off uh, with about 100 people. He sends uh, Captain Bintine off with another 100 to try and find other villages, leaving him with just 200. Of course, thinking that this village might be big, but if they get there with enough firepower that they can scare off these warriors he was so worried that the indians would run away he was not concerned of what they would do if they stayed wow so uh he sends uh majorino off with about 150 soldiers he says go into the village Run your horses into the village. Start to scare them off. I will then come in from the other end, and I will start picking them off as they're running away. So that Majorino starts to do this. Now Majorino's very confused about the orders. Now this could be because of the amount of whiskey that he had had that morning. Oh no! It could also be just the failure to communicate on Custer's part. It's probably a mixture of the two. Major Reno starts coming in. Then he sees the warriors start to come in there. You know, we don't really know how big the village is. It is the, the, the smallest number of warriors given is a thousand. Mm -hmm. Major Reno has 150 Mm -hmm. against a thousand and it could be thousands. Mm -hmm. So he sees the warriors start to come towards him. He orders the men to come off of their horses and to, Form a barricade to start firing. He makes Mm -hmm. a defensive position. What he sees on the other side of the hill is Custer waving his hat. He does not know if that is Custer saying "good job." He is (laughs) not. He doesn't know if that's Custer saying "continue, move into the village." He doesn't understand what Custer is doing. Mm -hmm. He makes this defensive position. And they're actually winning. The 150 soldiers against the 1,000 warriors is actually winning for about 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. Then they start hearing this rumble, and they start hearing all these people in the village start talking and cheering and dancing, and they don't know what they're saying. If they had understood the Lakota language, they would hear, crazy horse is coming, crazy horse is coming. And so crazy horse comes onto the battlefield with all of his warriors. Mm Mm-hmm. Benteen uh, uh, looks to his men and says, we need to retreat now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but he doesn't communicate properly. He says, get on your horses, get off of your horses, dismount. Uh, uh, and then eventually the, the the warriors start coming at such a pace that he just freaks out. And he says, if you want to live, follow me and just rides off.
2: Oh, my no!
1: Uh, So oh, no. some of the men think that they have a better chance if they don't follow that guy. And if they just stay hidden in the trees, some of the men ride as fast as they can with, uh, uh, uh with major Reno. Uh, it is complete chaos. Mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, major Reno and Benteen meet up, uh, on a hill outside of the village. They start making uh defensive preparations with whatever boxes they have. Um, uh, uh, Reno gets a note from Custer that says, uh, we are engaging the enemy. Come as fast as you can. Bring the packs, bring the pack horses, bring the packs. He writes it three or four times because all the supplies are left uh, hundreds of yards away from all of this because the Mm -hmm. pack mules would be slow. So those are two conflicting orders. Either come as fast as you can or bring all of the supplies and that would t- may be very slow. Uh-huh. So, uh, uh, Benteen eventually goes to another hill. He sees, uh, that there is some action going on, but he sees all of the warriors are shooting at the ground and mm-hmm. he doesn't understand why they're shooting at the ground. He thinks Custer has left them all to die. Mm-hmm. And so he goes back to the better defensive position thinking Custer's off somewhere uh now what had actually happened is custer uh seeing that uh reno had engaged the enemy was waiting to go into the village was waiting to meet up with Uh, The forces that were supposed to charge into the village, Custer was going to charge in from the other side. They were going to kill a whole bunch of women and children like they had done before. And that was going to quell uh, Mm. all of the Lakota and Cheyenne into uh, surrendering. Mm. Uh, So Custer is waiting to cross the river. Then when Reno runs away... All the warriors say, well, what's going on? And then they look behind them and see Custer starting to try and take the women and children. So now the full force of the Cheyenne and Lakota and Arapaho start going after Custer. Custer only has 200.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They start making defensive barricades around a hill. They are slaughtering their own horses to get behind the horses Mm -hmm. to try and have a shield. Uh, Custer's last moments would be, uh, pure chaos. He would see both of his brothers killed before him. He would see his brother-in-law killed before him. Uh, when, uh, Bintine was on the other hill and he saw the soldiers shooting at the, I mean, saw the warriors shooting at the ground. They were not shooting at the ground. They were finishing off all of the dying cavalrymen. men. Wow. Uh, Custer was actually, uh, saved Some of the brutal mutilations, they had no idea who he was because he had recently cut his hair. Uh, So he did not have the long locks that he had once had. Uh, They had no idea that they were fighting Custer. Uh, So Custer was shot uh, uh, just below the heart and he was shot in the temple. And that was it. The other soldiers suffered horrible mutilations.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, Clothes ripped from their body uh and and then uh, eventually the soldiers uh, the the the, the uh, Cheyenne warriors went back to trying and finish off the defensive positions around the hill where Reno and Benteen were it would be over a day and a half of siege and then the warriors decided to leave them uh so the all of Custer's men all 200 some up men uh, had been killed mm-hmm. uh, this was known as uh, Custer's last stand mm-hmm. uh now uh the, the Warriors had taken tons of, uh, uh, either the jewelry or the boots or the clothes, wow. uh, from the cavalry uh, men as they had killed them. They had taken the heads off of them and brought them back in. Of course, they were scalping them. So they had taken a lot, uh, when they showed Sitting Bull, uh, he said that we had won this battle, but that they, we would not win the war because you had taken everything that you were not supposed to. Mm. Uh, Sitting Bull uh, and his band would go up to Canada to try and avoid the wrath of the 7th Cavalry because uh, the now that they had taken out Custer, even though they had known that, but because of the victory that the uh, Cheyennes and the Lakotas had had that day, they knew that the army would come back with a vengeance, and that's exactly Mm -hmm. what they did do. And within Sitting Bull's generation, he would see all of his people uh, moved uh, onto the reservations. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Custer, uh, the news of this, uh, actually came out to the rest of the United States just after the 4th of July, and the 4th of July in 1876, meaning that it was the centennial celebration. Uh, It was absolutely uh, unbelievable that the greatest Indian fighter was killed, and they had found out about this on the 100th birthday of America. Like, the, how, America was the a superpower. It was this great industrial uh, powerhouse. It was the ultimate epitome of civilization, was beat out by Sitting bull by, by, uh, Cheyennes, by these people wearing buffalo robes. How could this possibly, uh, it, it was impossible to fathom. Um, and then as the reports started to come in most of the people in the army blamed custer and his uh uh his his attitudes his uh wanting to go in in a blaze of glory uh, glory trying to finish everything off for himself not thinking strategically not wanting the reinforcements wanting everything uh for himself um his uh wife uh, libby would spend the rest of her life trying to preserve the memory of custer as a great man um and Custer would go on to be uh, still, even with his faults would be considered an American hero to many. Um, Anyone who played Cowboys and Indians uh, knows the story of the last stand, knows the story of Custer uh, against Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse and, uh, 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 then as, uh, he became a symbol of America when we wanted a good symbol, he became a symbol of America when we wanted a bad symbol. If mm-hmm. you've ever seen Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman and you see, uh, how Custer is portrayed in that as this arrogant and brash and, and delusional, uh, uh, symbol of American arrogance, um, any way you want to look at it, Custer can be what you want him to be um, in in regards to what America is and should be. Um, so uh, a, a fascinating figure, a, a person who led uh, an incredible life. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that a, a lot of the things that we've talked about here uh, make sense to who he was and what happened to him on this date.
2: That is true. I mean, I was very lost because when, whatever your reactions were when I was saying, well, it's Libra on the first house and it's got Venus in the first house, so it should be really pretty, like very pretty, and and your reaction wasn't really complimentary to what I was saying, and I was like, well, maybe it's not the right birth time but uh no that that, that's
1: definitely right i think i I was surprised when you said that he was more strategic than riding off in a blaze of glory
2: well i still stick with that i have to say that i feel that although all of that sag took him into this you know frenzy of whatever riding straight into it he still thought he had a plan right but a lot of times people who work fast, you know what I mean? Like their brains are like lightning for someone to say, how deep it is it? You know, and, and a Sagittarius will not wait for you to stand there and try to measure something. They're just going to do it the fastest way. They're just going to do it. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that in this situation, I believe that it is very possible that he believed he had uh, a strategy because, as you've said, and it's very interesting that he has that Pluto in the seventh house in Aries because his strategic partner was his wife. You know, mm-hmm. his war partner was his wife. Mm-hmm. They contemplated whatever the moves that he was going to make, and maybe you know she shouldn't have been so far away because maybe uh things might have gone differently but i think this situation is very karmic he yeah. actually deserved worse than what he got yeah you know i i don't um i don't think it's okay for any group of people to overcome another group of people the way that you know these things happen so i i just have to say you know karma it's yeah. uh it can happen in your life or it can happen in the next one or whenever, but it's gonna happen.
1: Well, uh, I think uh on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, uh this is uh right on the money. This is uh, who <laughs> Custer is, and uh certainly certainly what he was up against on uh June twenty fifth of eighteen seventy-six. Legacy, uh death Uh, and legacy from unexpected things and unexpected people, uh, groups of people. And uh, he he certainly learned a lesson about communicating with groups of people on that day.
2: I hope so. I hope he did. And as he went into his next life or wherever, you know, he, he, he took that lesson with him and maybe, you know, who knows how many lifetimes you have to pay for that many lives taken. You know, I don't know, but, uh, I, 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 it makes sense. I mean, there, there's definitely information there. And I'm sure that even a, a professional astrologer um, could probably find way many more, you know, things But it would take time just to go through every single aspect of that day.
1: Right. And something tells me that a sitting bull would have a lot better chance of listening to an astrologer than Custer would. I agree. Uh, Well, that uh, concludes uh, this episode of History in Retrograde. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, especially to our little... uh, extra special experiment uh, today. Uh, If you'd like to uh, support us, uh, we have all of our links to our social media uh, included uh, in today's episode. And uh, we also have our link to a PayPal account if you're feeling extra generous. Uh, Every little bit helps us in uh, getting better quality and producing a better show and growing our audience. Uh, As always, in conclusion, as long as uh, your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, Everything will be just fine.
2: Everything's going to be just fine. And we do love it. Just keep sending the $5 into $10. They're very good. Um, whatever you can see is wonderful, and we greatly appreciate it. And we will be coming up with a list of um, different um, supporters soon. And just really thank you for listening, and thank you for being there. And have a wonderful, wonderful day or night or morning.
1: Yes, thank you so very, very much. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye.